All right, and so Amberly is going to teach us today. Um, thank you for that. And now it's all yours. Hello. So I'm Amberly. Um, welcome. So, how many of you remember the show Desperate Housewives? It's like circa 2006, 2012. Today's passage is basically Desperate Housewives. So, if you don't know what this show was, it was the epitome of drama. Um, the the description of the show says. Behind the facade of a postcard-perfect subdivision live four women whose lives are anything but idyllic. Klutzy Susan is divorced and the mother of teenage Julie. Lynette is married to Tom and the frazzled mother of four rambunctious children. Breeze, the neighborhood's Martha Stewart, whose perfection masks major dysfunction. Ex-model Gabrielle, married to handsome and successful Carlos, wants to have her cake and eat it too. And looking down on it at all is Mary Alice, who took her own life, but comments on the lives of her former neighbors. So it's just a super, super drama-filled show. There was always like fighting and drama, and I want what she has, and I want what he has, and this is kind of what this passage is. So today I got Genesis 29 through 33. So I got four chapters, and it is packed. Um, this. These passage, or this passage has love, deceit, scams, jealousy, multiple wives, concubines, um, stolen idols, impending battle, wrestling with God himself, and sheep. Lots and lots of sheep and goats, um, and mandrakes, but we'll get to those. So uh, before we get started on today's passage, we're going to take a look at what was happening um, before we got here. So before this passage... Uh, We've got Jacob and his mama, Rebecca, who they fooled their dad, or fooled the dad and or fooled Isaac, stole Esau's blessing. Um, and so Jacob gets blessed by Isaac, and his brother's pretty mad about this. So Jacob um, and his mom, Rebecca, she says, you need to get out of here because your brother's really mad at you. And you need to go to my hometown, our hometown, go to Haran and find my brother Laban and get a wife. So this is where our story picks up, and this is where the drama begins. So setting the scene, Jacob arrives in a field full, um, a, field, a field for all the sheep, and there's a well in the middle where all the sheep herders come, and they bring all their sheep to water them. And um, so one of the shepherds is there, and um, Jacob starts asking him about Laban's family. And... Um, Rebecca's brother is Laban. Um, so conveniently, Rachel, his daughter, walks up right in the midst of the conversation. Um, we can go to the. So he says, um, starting in chapter 29, verse 9, it says, While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flock of Laban's mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Pretty sure I would have run away too. This random guy shows up 
and like does all the work, gets the, the stone off of the well by himself. Normally this took a couple of men to do this. And then he kisses you and starts weeping. Like, but apparently this is not necessarily uncommon. I don't know. I was totally weirded out by it. And I like, if I was, um, if I was Rachel, I would be like, mm, I don't want anything to do with you. But she goes and tells her dad and Laban shows up. And he shows up and he's like, oh my gosh, you're my nephew. Come live with us. Come stay with us. And so he goes and he goes and lives with them. And after a month, um, for the next one, it says, so then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall be your wages. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the young, name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, uh, for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So he's just so taken by this girl. He's just madly in love with her. It's only been a month, and he's like, that's the girl I want to marry. And so he works for seven years. But then this is where drama even kicks in even more. Laban full-on tricks Jacob. I don't know how he falls for this, but he ends up marrying Leah, the older sister. How he didn't know it was the wrong woman, I have no idea. He wakes up in the morning, and he's like, um, this isn't Rachel. He goes to Laban, and he's like, what did you do? You gave me the wrong daughter. Rachel, or Laban's like, well, see, the custom is that the older daughter has to get married first, not the younger daughter. So in a week, you can marry her. So he waits another week, and he gets to marry Rachel. So he ends up with both sisters. Um, and then the grass is greener competition starts. So Jacob loves Rachel. He is just totally infatuated with her. He worked for seven years for this girl. Finally gets to marry her, but he's also stuck with her older sister. Doesn't really care for her. I mean, it's his, the sister that he didn't want. But because of, of how much he loved Rachel, God decided, well, here, Leah, you can have some kids. I'm going to open your womb, and Rachel's not going to have any. And out pops four sons. Not all at once. But she, so Leah bears Jacob, or he bears uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And verse 29, 30, or 29 and 31 says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. But Rachel had about all she could take. She's like, I'm the one you love. I should be giving you kids. So it goes on. Again, finally to get to chapter 30. It says, when Rachel saw that she bore to Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the loom? Sorry, fruit of the womb. <laughs> Every time I read that, it's the first thing that came in my head. Fruit of the womb. Um, then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So here comes third wife. Didn't we already see what happens when we give servants to have babies for us? We saw this a while ago, and it didn't work out right, but they try it anyway. So Bilhah, she has two sons. She has Dan and Naphtali. And at this point, Rachel believes she's one. I have kids. I'm loved. I'm the top sister again. 
Well, Leah, not to be obscene, she brings her servant. She brings Zilpah and has Jacob another wife. And Zilpah then has Gad and Asher. So at this point, Jacob has eight sons. Um, and life is going. And so at this point, we're probably, because he had to end up working seven more years to get both sisters. So we're looking, we're quite a few years down the road. We're probably 10 plus years into this. Um, so, but I promised you mandrakes, right? So the story goes on, chapter 30, verse 14. It says, in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. So this thing, what is a mandrake? I had no idea. I'm like, what the heck is a mandrake? I know I've heard this before. So I started doing some research. Yeah, it's the video. Maybe click on it. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Anything? No, go back. Oh, bummer. It should have. Oh, man. Okay, so if anyone knows me, you know I love Harry Potter. And this is so, this is from Harry Potter. If you've seen Harry Potter, if you've not, this scene comes into one of the greenhouses, and Professor Sprout is teaching all of the students about mandrakes. And they're these little plants that are screaming. They're like little babies, and they're like, screaming. But the thing about the mandrake is if you pull them out, out of the ground, ground is when they scream. Uh, once you bury them back up, then they don't scream anymore. So I'm like, okay, well, that's a mandrake. But that can't be the mandrake of the Bible. So I did some more research. Surprisingly, Harry Potter's not that far off. So a mandrake. It's a Mediterranean plant of the nightshade family with white or purple flowers and large yellow berries. It was has a forked, fleshy root that supposedly resembles human form and was formerly widely used in medicine and magic, allegedly shrieking when pulled from the ground. <laughs> so this little mandrake, I mean, you can see it. It does kind of look like a little human. It's got arms and legs and so mandrakes. So Rachel shall sells her shrieking little plants to Leah in exchange for a night with Jacob. And guess what happens? Leah gets pregnant again. She has her son, Issachar. And again, she has Zebulun. And finally, again, she has a daughter. She has Dinah, my cat, but Dinah in the Bible. Um, so, but wait, it gets better. Goes on. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she, has called, or, and she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So at this point, the sons are at 11. Add Dinah, that's 12. But back then, unfortunately, daughters didn't count. 
So he's got 11 sons. And Jacob decides, all right, we've been with Laban long enough. I've worked my seven years. I am ready to go back home. And I think at this point, it's been probably like 15 years. Esau's probably not mad at me anymore. We can go back. So um, this decision brings up a whole, more, a whole new slew of drama. And Laban says, well, if you're going to go, you've worked for me all these years. Take half of the flock. You've taken care of it all these years. So Laban, or Jacob's like, okay, well, I'm going to be good, and I'm going to take just the, the speckled and the spotted and the striped and the funky-looking ones so that when I leave, you can't say, oh, you took my sheep. So you get all the good ones. You get all the white, perfect sheep. I'll take all the funky ones. Well, Laban decides to be Laban and tricks him again, takes all the funky-looking sheep, and he sends them off with his sons. And Jacob's like, well, now what do I do? So he decides to, um, he does this thing. I don't even know like, if God inspired him to do this or if this was just a thing that happened. But he takes these branches and he like strips them down. And so there's like, you can see the whites inside the branches. And um, he, so chapter 30, verse 41, it says that he would put these in front of the sheep. When, um, whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So Laban tricks him, but God's like, mm, you're still going to get the funky-looking sheep. So he helps him to, to get new sheep. Lots of sheeps and goats. And at this point, now it's time to flee again because now all of a sudden he has a big flock. And it's all the, even though they look funky, they're the good sheep. Um, they're the strong ones. So it's time to flee. Um, now we're into chapter 31, verse 1. It says, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So he is ready to run. So he takes all of his possessions, his family, his sons, his daughter, his wives, concubines, everything, all of his animals, and he, they start to go. He puts his sons and wives on camels and says, go ahead. And for good measure, Rachel decides to seal her dad's household gods. Why she thought this was a good idea? I have no idea. Again, drama. I'm just going to steal God, dad's household gods and take those with us. Um, so they're on their way, heading back, and three days later, Laban catches up. And Laban's kind of freaking out. He's like, why did you leave in secret? Why did you go? Why didn't, I, why didn't you permit me to kiss my, my daughters and my grandchildren? Why didn't you let me send you off with tambourines? And um, oh, and why did you take my household gods? And Jacob answered, verse 31, Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob didn't know that Rachel had taken the household gods. If he had known, I don't know that he would have made that, that statement. <laughs> Rachel, I'm sure, is freaking out at this point. And so Laban starts searching each tent, looking for his household gods. And finally, he reaches Rachel, who's had them hidden in her camel bags. 
And I don't know if this girl is really, really smart or just really sneaky. Because she takes them and she sits on the bag pretending that the way of the women is upon her and she cannot stand up. The girl uses her menstruation cycle to get out of getting caught. Like, I don't know. Girl, she's either really good or really bad. Um, but you got to give her props for this one. She gets out of it. And um, so Jacob and Laban, they make a covenant between them. And they agree to go their separate ways. And Jacob, um, he agrees that he'll treat Laban's daughters fairly. And Laban agrees that he won't cross over into their land. He, they, they make an altar of stones and they go their separate ways. But the drama begins again. We're back to Esau. Laban finds out that Esau is on his way with 400 men. That sounds a little terrifying. Like, that's a lot of men coming towards you as you're coming back, hoping to find forgiveness. So Jacob divides his possessions up, and he sends, like, half of his animals first and the other half and all of his wives and sons and, and daughter and concubines, all of them, they stay back. And he sends the, the first group forward as a gift to Esau. And um, everyone remains in the land. Um, uh, sorry, um, not everyone. So then he sends them forward, and then the second group he sends forward. and he's, So everybody's crossed into the land except for Jacob. And Jacob spends the night, and he wrestles with God. Literally the entire night long, he's wrestling with God. He doesn't know it's God, but he wrestles with God. And this, that passage, like wrestling with God, that's a whole other sermon all in and of itself. But he wrestles with God, and in the morning, God says, you have found favor, go. And he lets him go. And then something really surprising happens. There's been so much drama and so much going on. But something surprising happens. Esau ran to meet him. He embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. So again, kissing and weeping apparently is common. But they find forgiveness. 15 years later, like, he showed up with 400 men because he wasn't sure what he was going to find with him coming. But he just wants his brother back. And they, they find forgiveness and healing. And they go on in, into the land. But what about Rachel and Leah, these sisters who have fought for the last 15 plus years? They've hated each other because one was loved and one had babies. Um, we're going to skip forward a little bit into the next group to see the end of this story. Rachel, um, in chapter 35, she ends up, she has another baby, another son. His name, oh, don't go, don't go here yet. Uh, she has another son, um, and his name is <laughs> Joseph. Um, and so this may, or no, Benjamin, sorry. She has another son named Benjamin, but she dies in childbirth. And there is no record of Rachel and Leah ever coming to terms with each other and ever finding forgiveness. They let the grass is greener on the other side get between them all the way until the end. They never, there's no recorded evidence that they ever forgave each other. And yet God still chose to build his earthling kingdom through them. Through a family that was so broken. The 12 sons of Jacob, who soon renamed Israel, become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now you can show it. <laughs> so, this family, it's so, 
I mean, it's all over the place. He's got four wives. He's got all these sons. But you can see out of Leah comes Levi and Moses and Aaron and the Levites and the priests and the high priests. Out of Judah comes King David, which ultimately is, is Jesus. Out of Rachel coming from Benjamin, you see King Saul comes, um, Manasseh and Ephraim. But all of this, this comes out of one family that was so broken and so messed up. So much drama. And I'm like, God, why couldn't you use a better family? Why couldn't you use a perfect family? Like, why did they have to be so screwed up? And then I look at my own life, and I think, wow, God works in my life. And goodness, I can tell you there's drama in our family. You go back, and there's drama. And I see his hand working and weaving through every single bit of it, every argument, every broken piece. God's weaving it together. And while my story doesn't feel like a story that's worthy of being in the Bible, my story is not much different than theirs. I mean, granted, I don't have mandrakes and multiple wives and servants. and <laughs> But my life is messy. And I have a sister, and we fight, and it's messy. And then I realized that God can use the messy. If God can use that as the foundation of Israel, which ultimately led to Jesus and to us today, he can use me. He can use us. Um, so in your small groups today, I would love for you to discuss how you see God's hand through your story. Our stories are messy. They're wrapped around jealousy, unforgiveness, worry, fear, bad choices, bad things happening to us. But there's also love and joy and peace and healing and miracles and so much more. Um, so how is your story one that God uses? Um, also, I didn't add this in my notes, but also, is there someone in your life that is your Rachel or Leah that maybe that relationship needs repairing? Um, yeah, I don't know, but God knows, and he works through messy lives, and he works, I mean, he brought Jesus into a messy stable. Like, he was born among sheep and pigs and cows and yuck. He does messy. He knows it. And he works anyway. Um, so let's pray. God, I thank you that even though I am messy, and my life is messy, and our lives are messy, that you can still work and that your glory is still seen in our pain and our brokenness, but also through our joy and our, our healing and our love. And God, I just pray that we would go through from here today um, just seeing how you're working. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed to small groups. And make sure to clean up tables. <laughs>